Hey everyone, welcome to episode 57 of the Inside Out podcast. Here we are back recording again on this beautiful Thursday, not quite fall day, but it certainly has that feel to it. Yes, it does. And hello everybody. Back in the uh, podcasting seats, me and Michael, and uh, we're in studio today with some like we we want to bring you the goods today. Yeah, yeah, we're ready. We are absolutely ready. I don't care if it was forty-one degrees this morning, and I just thought this is this is too cold. I don't. I'm not ready for this yet. Were you on your bike this morning? No, I went out for a run this morning very early, and um, the ah. the temperature dissuaded me from commuting to work on my bike. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let's talk thought. about this for a second because I've changed up my routine over the summer, and I'm wondering if it's going to last okay. into the fall because. Okay. Uh, so here's the question. Do Are you apt to work out in the evenings after a good day's work or in the mornings to get things started? Uh, mornings, for sure. You are a morning mm-hmm. person in that. Okay. So traditionally, I'm not. Traditionally, I, mm-hmm. I'm, my first morning moments are... You know, I'll, I like to spend time with my uh, with my Bible and mm-hmm. prayer and good cup of coffee and spend you know anywhere from a half hour to an hour and a half, depending on what's going on and all of that. That's just my time. Yep. I like that. But then traditionally, get to work, all of those things, and then I work out at the end of the day, and it's a real detox for me. It's mm-hmm. a real reset when I work out. Come home, work out, and then like ready to fully engage with my family without the stress of the the day still on my shoulders. Yeah. Um, but over the summer, I have, for whatever reason, developed a brand new routine, even at my age. Yeah. <laughs> even at your age. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, a brand new, and I've been working out in the mornings. And it's a, a kind of a new routine as well because I've stopped. I've not hardly run anymore. Just a little bit of running, okay, periodically. But I don't do lo- what I used to do. So, um, but but I'm I my quote here's my air quotes. My gym yeah. is in my garage. Yeah, and my garage is cold in the winter time. So yes. I'm not, and then it's easier <laughs> to go out there uh, at the end of the day. Yep. Then first thing in the morning when it's cold out. So I'm not sure how long I'll be able to continue this, but I wanted to work out this morning and um, my family interrupted that. Okay. I was I had this little bitty window where I could run out there and get a, get my workout in and then jump in the shower because, you know, we had a meeting mm-hmm. we went to. Yep. And I had to get re- get ready for that. And um, and then somebody somebody that I care for deeply needed to talk to me and they literally, they talked to me for just like, it was like less than five minutes, but my, that was enough to close the window. I didn't get a workout this morning. Yeah. So, and I got a meeting tonight, so I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. No. Well, somebody else that you care for deeply, your, your son Titus texted me the other day, yesterday mm. at 8.42. He's very polite. He says, I Hey, I know this is early, but I just wanted to ask you a question. I know this is early. <laughs> I, I text him back. It's like, I've been up for four hours now. Yeah. It's, it's all good. Yeah. Not early at all. I, I do it in the morning to get out of the way. And then I do my... I think I've talked about this in this podcast before. I like to um, do my kind of Bible study prayer time uh, in in the like half an hour or so before my kids wake up. Because I would rather them wake yeah. up to see dad in his chair 
with the Bible open than them wake up and I'm gone at the gym. So that, that'll yeah. be a, a problem unique to this season in my life as they get a little older and start to sleep in more. But you mentioned something. Okay. We had a we just got back from a meeting with our area ministers and got to hear yeah. just wonderful stories about what God is doing throughout the Skagit Valley and and, and around the world and beyond some, yeah yeah and beyond so I mean quick 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 preview without giving too much information but we got to hear from some missionaries this afternoon that will be do we, yeah 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 this was great so these are these are missionaries and we'll have to say it like this for now that they are missionaries in a sensitive mm. part of the world. So yes. we can't disclose where they will be serving, but they will be um, they will be with us. We got them on the docket for our 2022 Missions Expo, which will be in the spring. Mm-hmm. And like, I was so, um, I was pretty jazzed about their story, yeah. about what God has been doing and what what they're going to do and they're and they're with this live dead organization uh so they're agwm they're appointed missionaries with the ag and all of that which is like solid and super good this live dead organization is is part of that um and so it's just like this is going to be great and i'm very excited about hearing from them yeah it was excellent it was excellent well i want to take a minute today to to sort of look look back yeah um and we got just a wonderful time together as a church this past Sunday and just a chance to, to fellowship with the body of Christ and to gather and to celebrate and to begin this new sub-series. I mean, talk about just a, a benchmark milestone Sunday. Yeah. Um, September 12th, I'll, I'll remember for a while. Uh, specifically even that, that sermon that you went through, Brent, to kick off... The end is near. This this newest sub series in the Gospel of Matthew. Crazy to think that we really only have a couple more of these sub series left until we finish out the book that we started yeah. uh, at the end of 2019. Yeah, I believe it was Advent 2019. So so you uh, mentioned uh, in your sermon um, this this idea of of our tendency to to put people on pedestals. Um, and so since this is an area that, that all of us are prone to, uh, it'd be a good question. I'd love for you to kind of follow up on that idea that, that you mentioned on Sunday of maybe like, how can I tell if I've put someone on a pedestal? Yeah, that's, what, that's a good thing. That, we need to talk about that. So I, I talked about a, um, I think I used the language, a wicked combination, mm-hmm. right? And the whole... The whole text, I think my big idea was the gospel is our only hope against corruption. Mm-hmm. So, and the corruption we first saw in the Jesus is addressing the, he's talking to the crowds and to his disciples about the scribes and the Pharisees. And what's awesome about that is the scribes and Pharisees are standing right there. Yeah. So he's talking about them to their faces. Yeah. This is not social media. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, and now of course now this week's text he's not talking uh, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees while the crowds and the and his disciples are listening. Mm-hmm. So like that's a that's a whole other animal right there. But we get this right out of the shoot. The scribes and the Pharisees are corrupt. Like they're corrupt at their core and um and so it's like how do we respond to corrupt leaders? And then of course, then he then 
in the text, in verse 8, Jesus then says, but you. So then he's talking to the crowds and to his disciples about themselves. And of course, we look at that and go, yeah, and we better sit up straight because he's talking to us too. Mm. And so, um, so, and that's about our, how, how do we respond to our corrupt selves? Like our leaders are corrupt. And it's one thing to learn how to respond to them, uh, which I outlined and talked about this whole concept of Moses' seat. We're supposed to do what they say because they sit on Moses' seat. Well, so we better know what Moses' seat is. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're prone to think that we're simply... Um, uh, we're simply supposed to do whatever our leaders say because they said it. And that's not quite what Jesus is teaching. So anybody that didn't hear that sermon, I would really encourage you to listen to that one um, so you know a little bit more of what your responsibility is toward your leaders um, from a biblical perspective. Now, but then, of course, one thing to deal with your corrupt leaders, but how do you deal with your corrupt self? And, um, and this is this whole idea of not exalting yourself but humbling yourself and not jesus talked about not um really in a very paraphrased way don't don't try to climb up on a pedestal yourself don't let other people exalt you and um and don't um don't exalt yourself and don't let other people exalt you humble yourself right if there's promotions to be had work really hard be um, be humbly ambitious and let God promote you, right? So, um, but this is that wicked combination. We're we're prone to exalting people. We're prone to putting people on pedestals, and um, and but we're also prone to um, exalting ourselves. Sure. Right. So if I want to be exalted, and then there are people who want to exalt me, that's a wicked combination, right? Mm-hmm. So so my responsibility is be be sure that I'm not um, nurturing that corruption in my soul that that welcomes being exalted. And that's not just me as in Brent, but like anybody and everybody, leaders of any sort, right? So how do we how can we tell if we have put someone on a pedestal? Because this is this is um, it, other people may want to be exalted. They might want to exalt themselves. But if there aren't people around to exalt them, then they it kind of fizzles out, right? They end up kind of being... You ever have one of those fireworks that you light it and then it just kind of goes... <laughs> yes. And it never goes anywhere. And we call that a... A dud. That's a dud, right? And so somebody who has this aspiration to be a great firework um, that that is all kind of self-centered and corrupt... If nobody's there to like give them the the go ahead, nobody's there to to put them on that pedestal. Then the, then they just stay on the ground level like um, a mere mortal. And and so I think that's good. So how do we know if we have done this? And this goes to like some real dysfunction within um, our own selves. It's part of our own maybe our own insecurities, our own corruptions in some ways. So I've listed out several things and you can we can talk through these. But okay. um, the first one is, how do you know, how can you tell if you've put someone on a pedestal is number one, you follow them uncritically. Meaning you're, and I don't mean we have a critical spirit, but the idea of saying to somebody, I'd follow you over a cliff. Yeah, it sounds noble and right uh-huh. or sounds like maybe noble. It shouldn't sound right. It's like if somebody's going off a cliff, I'm not following them off the cliff. I'm going to try to save them from going off the cliff themselves. Right. Right. If they say we're going this way and I'm not thinking 
deeply thinking critically to say, is that the way we should go? Not because I'm the doubter or not because like the person who's always negative about new ideas, that's not what I'm talking about. Those mm-hmm. people, like their hearts are sour, right? Like right there, they need to like change. That's not good. But to follow uncritically is a definite telltale that we put somebody on a pedestal. Right. Um, secondly, if you overlook real faults that they have, if, if there's like character issues, if you see things ethically or morally that are not right and you overlook them, maybe because you're so enamored by them or you're so impressed you know, by their skills or their talents um, or the facade that they've put up, like if, if, you're, if you're willing to overlook real faults, you you have put somebody on a pedestal, that person. Um, number three, if you let them pressure you, uh, even to the violating of your own values and convictions, you've put them on a pedestal. Um, le- leaders, unfortunately, have done this over and again to people, people who are sincere, people who desire to do what's right. And because the leader, he or she, is not tethered to a um, a sound. Uh, let's even say, like even in the church world, they're not tethered to a sound soteriology. They have or a Christology. So their doctrine of salvation, their doctrine of Christ, is skewed to the extent that they start thinking that the things that they're involved in are about them. Yeah, and they've got to they've got to be about the mission, and they've got to they've got to make things happen regardless of how they happen. And so in their minds, they've already justified that whatever end they're going for is uh, is um, going to justify any sort of twisted means to get there because the end is so important. And you're like, if you're willing to violate your convictions and violate your own values for that person because they're pressuring you, like you have put that person on a pedestal, you need to grow a spine I don't mean to make that a cold, like non-compassionate statement, but like, mm-hmm. but but like, you got to toughen up and and recognize that there's an accountability that you have before God in that. Okay, so that would be number three. I've got seven of these. Okay. Okay. Number okay. four, you're dependent on their attention, affection, or affirmation, mm-hmm. and they all start with A's. And I did that on purpose. Yes. Right. They just came to me. I didn't work really hard at it. Um, what yeah. do they call that? Alliteration. Alliteration. Yeah, that's Which what I was thinking. Also starts with an A. Yeah, exactly. So, but if you're dependent on somebody paying attention to you, giving you affirmation, giving you, mm. you know, their affection, and when I say affection, I mean like friendship affection. Like, man, you're such a good friend. You're such a good, you know, this and thanks for doing these things. And and they're getting you to do things that maybe you don't want to do. <laughs> um, but it's not, and it's not like just a boss saying, hey, this is your job, do your job. And this is what we need to have done. And that's just the way it is. But yeah. they're really kind of, they're buttering you up and they've, they've kind of court, they've courted you in that way. And then, uh, and then you start needing that. You start needing them to say, man, you're, you did such a good job with that. You did such a, you know, whether it's a preaching assignment or whatever, if you need their affirmation like that, like affirmation is wonderful. Encouragement mm-hmm. is wonderful. I, I'm appreciative of it. I always tell people I really enc- appreciate your encouragement. If they say, give me an email or send something, you know, say something to me, I'd say, I really appreciate your, your encouragement. But we need to be careful to not 
need it. Yeah. And um, and so if we need that from from that person, it's likely that we've put them on a pedestal. Yeah. Um, or they're on a pedestal and we're affirming the pedestal, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of, yeah. So Which that's also number, starts with an A. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, number five, you own their problems, right? If, if, if they have a problem and somehow you've, you take that problem on like it's your own problem, you've put them on a pedestal. Like they, that's their problem. They need to figure it out, right? Um, yeah. Number six, you're afraid of them not needing you. Hmm. If, if you're afraid of this pedestaled person not needing you, it's clear they're on a pedestal. Um, this last one, this last one, um, if you fret, if they don't talk to you, like, oh man, they're not talking to me. I'm, am, I, am I not in the inner circle any longer? If, that's, if, if you fret over something like that, it's likely that you have put this person on a pedestal. Yeah. yeah. This... This doesn't sound like a fun way to live, yeah. but it's the way that many people yep. do live. I mean, I, I imagine in a setting when you're in the same room with this person that you're, you've put on a pedestal, yeah. you're, you're, it's like your, your weather vane is always up and you're always... Which just, way is the wind or yeah, yeah, Yeah. It's kind of anxiety inducing. Um, yeah. So, and I think it is, um, there's a sense of, this is the part where I, I want to be careful. I want to be compassionate. Um, and so, yeah, when I say, man, you need to grow a spine, part of that is, I don't mean that cold-heartedly, but I do mean, like, that's an insecurity that um, is not healthy. And again, if, if, we didn't, if we didn't facilitate people on pedestals, them climbing up on them or staying on them. If we didn't facilitate that, then they they, they just wouldn't be, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, what I pointed out on in Sunday in that sermon with regard to the scribes and the Pharisees, they did things to be seen by others. Mm-hmm. Doing and, and some of those things were good things, but they weren't doing them because they were inherently good things. They were doing them so that others would be impressed that they were doing them. Yeah. And that, so Jesus says, that's corrupt. That's a, that's a corruption of your soul. And in one of the things that I pointed out is one of the reasons that they did things to be seen by others is because they knew that there would be others watching. Yep. People want to be impressed by these things. People want to say, oh, look at that. Listen to that. See, that's just so great. And like, if we didn't, if we didn't have an audience, would we do half the things that we do? Right. You know? Right. And so, yeah. That's why it's, it's so... It's almost overwhelming, but but for Christ, because when you realize how pervasive sin is, I think it's Tim Keller who says that sin's not just the bad things we do, but it's the good things we do with wrong motives yeah. as well. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So so if I'm listening to this and I'm hearing you talk about these kind of seven signs that that I've put someone on a pedestal, and I'm, I'm starting to realize, okay, maybe this person in my life is is a boss, a coworker. Uh, a, a close acquaintance, a friend. What now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What do we do if we have if somebody's on a pedestal? We've facilitated it, but now we're like growing up. Yeah, we're becoming aware of the that it's an issue. That it's not, it's not right. It's not healthy. 
It's not something we want to have to live with the rest of our you know, days. So what do we do if we are, um, if we've put someone on a pedestal and we recognize that a change is necessary, right? So I've got a couple of things here and you know, whatever we can add to this or whatever. I don't okay. think it's a comprehensive sure. list, but I just was thinking through this. And the first thing, the first thing I had to realize is, uh, is this. So number one here, what to do if you've put someone on a pedestal is one, recognize that the one word in all seven identifiers is the word you. Right when I look on that first list, these yep. our vast listening audience is um, probably taking notes yep. feverishly, sure. and they noted that at the start of every sentence of the one through seven identifiers of if you put someone on a pedestal, the first word is you. Yep. You follow them uncritically. You overlook real faults of theirs. You let them pressure you. You are dependent on their attention, affection, and affirmation, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing is we we have to recognize that we are a part of the problem. Yeah. We're we have facilitated this. We're not this didn't happen in a vacuum for this person. We helped it. We helped the process. So that's number one, is just to recognize that you're part of the problem. And number two, and I know that I I was going to say number two and then move on, but number one is, okay, yeah, you recognize you're part of the problem, but I can (laughs) even just right now think about when you've got these kind of autocratic, powerful leaders who demand certain things, and then you've got younger, maybe underdeveloped, younger followers uh, maybe it's an employer-employee situation or something like that, and um, and they're and they are um, like they don't they don't n- know how to they don't have the sort of power to change that so much. You know, mm-hmm. this is a silly illustration, maybe, but you remember the Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid, mm-hmm. and you remember the the. Um, the leader of the dojo that was the opposition to Mr. Miyagi and Danielson. Yeah. You remember that? What was that called? Cobra Kai. Yeah, the Cobra Kai. That's right. And that guy that was the leader of that, like he was a, like a classic jerk, right? Yeah. You remember? And he would pressure these, these teenage boys into doing things unethically regarding their karate, right? Thanks for the proper pronunciation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, he would pressure them to do things that were un, that were unethical, but they didn't have their teenage boys, right? And this guy is their yeah. dojo leader, whatever. Sensei. His, their, yeah, that's what, I knew I was missing the word. <laughs> he's their sensei. So they're like supposed to do what he says because he's the sensei. Did yeah. you see what I did there? That was good. Sensei, say, do what I say. Because uh, I'm the sensei. All right. <laughs> Maybe we'll edit that part so out. calling you Kimball-san. <laughs> yes, Daniel-san. Okay. So, but that's like when I say um, recognize the one word in all the seven identifiers. Well, like, yes, you're a part of it. But when you have somebody that's an, a leader like that, an autocratic leader, that's just brute. Like, that's not an easy thing to just go, well, like, there you go. I'm a part of the problem. Um, but I do think that it's necessary to recognize that that we we very well may be part of the problem if somebody's on a pedestal. Um, uh, it doesn't mean we own all of the guilt, but we've got a responsibility there. Number two, okay, number two, be humble and courageous. And I think those two things need to be kept together. That that conjunction, the word and is important there. It's Sometimes people go, let's use the word or. 
I'm going to be humble and they think, okay, I'm going to be humble and just live with this and get mm. walked all over the top of, I'll violate all my values, I'll have my conscience stricken and just on and on and on, get basically abused. Mm. Or instead of an and, they use the word or and then they get courageous and they're like, they're going to take up arms mm. against this person and they're then filled with anger and and um, uh, maybe even hatred and resentment and they become vindictive and they're looking for vengeance. And I don't think that's the biblical response, right? It's humble and courageous. And so and so we we recognize that maybe we're part of it or whatever, but the courageous part is to is to be um, uh, it, it's necessary because people who are leading wrong or who are on a pedestal, whatever, um, they they need to be put in their place. And um, and and in some settings, that's you just don't have the power to do that. You're gonna just you basically have to leave the organization, the the job, the church, whatever. You're gonna have to leave the organization. Um, but in other settings, like those people, there are others who need to be humble and courageous and correct them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I were talking earlier today about this podcast on uh, that Christianity Today is producing right now called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And, um, and there's a little bit of that in there, right? Sure. There were, there were people who had pedestaled leaders in that organization, in that church, and there were others who refused to do it, and they had to leave the organization initially. But eventually, enough people said, um, hopefully out of humility and courage, to say, this is not right. This is not a reflection of the church that Jesus is striving to build. Yeah. And so, I mean, no church is perfect, but there's certain things that become so toxic and so dysfunctional that they have to be dismantled. Not They can't just be changed incrementally from one degree of glory to the next, but they actually have to be torn down before they can be, before they can be built back up. Yeah. So hum- humble and courageous. Yeah. Um, number three is here's a like here's an attempt. Right. Have a mature conversation with the person that is on the pedestal. A mature conversation would be, um, you know, it, it's it it's a it is a confrontation, but because you're coming humbly, you're you're trying to make an appeal, not not like. Your demeanor isn't a demand; it's more of an appeal. But you're tr- you're striving, you know, in you're striving to be diplomatic. You're striving to maintain relationship. Um, and if there is an element of humility in that person, hopefully, they will recognize that. They will realize mm-hmm. that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, and they would humble themselves, right? So they're you're con- you're confronting them trying to have a conversation. And the tr- truth is, if they don't like you attempting to remove them from the pedestal, um, that should be evidence to you. Like if you're doing it right, prayerfully, carefully, yeah. kindly, and they simply uh, rear up and lash out at you, that should be evidence to you that they are jacked up. And right. if, if, if that's... If that's the case, then you have decisions to make. Like that's not, it, now you're going to live with that. Are you going to, they've just powered up on you and um, basically told you that this is the way it is. And now you have decisions to make. Are you going to live in that environment or are you going to, um, you know, find 
as they say, greener pastures. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Now that number three, does the nature of that conversation change depending on your proximity to the person you've put on the pedestal? Is that so? If you have like a like a close friend, maybe even a spouse, mm-hmm. is that conversation different than it would be if it's a it's a boss or e- even your your local church pastor? Yeah, I think it. I don't think the convers. I don't think our the humble tone that sure. we want, like our, our 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 character, our heart setting, still is humility. The idea of it not being a a frontal comfort confrontation, but more of a trying to make an appeal, trying to trying to appeal mm-hmm. to this person. Um, I don't think that changes, but I do think, like, it is. Um, you mentioned husband wife, and I, I recognize that in a marriage relationship, it can be either or. Like sometimes the male. In a dysfunctional marriage, the male is domineering, mm-hmm. and in other cases, the female's domineering. Sure, um, and and in both cases, that's ungodly, and repentance and real tra- change transformation needs to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sad thing to me that there are people, spouses, who who have climbed up onto a pedestal and treat their um, their partner as if they were their step and fetch it servant. Mm. Like that's uh, that I've, I've got so little tolerance with that instantly. Even just thinking about that, my temperature rises. <laughs> um, that's not how it's supposed to be. Right. So, right. but that, so that's a tough one. If that person is domineering in that sense, I mean, that, that's a form of abuse, mm-hmm. right? Um, if it's a boss. Yeah. I mean, but if we're Christians, if we if we truly believe that God is our partner, not, not God, yeah, He is that. But if God is our provider, mm-hmm. um, and um, and there may be a sense of like, if this is the way I'm going to be treated in a work environment, I'm going to trust God to provide uh, for me in other ways, right? Maybe mm-hmm. there's another place to work. Yeah. And um, again, that's not me pastorally telling people, hey, leave your job if it's not a perfect environment and. The, the the boss thinks that he or she is, you know, all that in a bag of chips. Um, someday I'm going to get, I'm going to stop using that phrase, but it's, it's like been in my vernacular for a decade or but so. But it's not today. Uh, yeah. Not today. Yeah. <laughs> not today. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I think I, I th- and, and if it's a friend, you know, a part of that, that's that number goes back to number two, humble and courageous. Mm-hmm is it doesn't look the same for every single person in every single situation, but I think both are necessary. I, I was just thinking, to, just not to belabor this this point, but if that conversation looks a little different, if that person you, you've been putting on a pedestal is in kind of the, in, in a horizontal relationship with you, uh, if that's different from if, oh. you know, the hierarchy of a boss or something like that. Yes. And I think it does go back to number two. One may require a little more humility and the other may require a little more courage. Yep, yep. Certainly, all those conversations require both. But yeah, and it's almost like animal kingdom stuff here, right? Mm-hmm. So you think about in a horizontal relationship where there are peers, um, it's almost it's like um, you see these natural um, uh, National Geographic videos or something where a wolf pack 
you know, you've got the alpha male or the alpha female yeah. and, and they know what their place is, but the rest of the pack has to establish their place. <laughs> right. And so who's two, three, and four in the pack? And so you got number three challenging number two, or you got number four challenging number three. And number three is trying to stay on his or her pedestal, et cetera, uh-huh. et cetera. And it feels like that sometimes in life, but it, but I don't think that there's supposed to be like in our minds, especially when you're talking about in the body of Christ, mm-hmm. we're not supposed to be constantly jockeying for position, yeah. right? That is not, we're supposed to humble ourselves and serve and greatness is attainable in the kingdom of God only through humble service. If you're not interested in that, you're simply not going to attain greatness in the kingdom. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you have a peer who is striving to exalt themselves over you, that's awesome, right? You're like, uh, why don't you come down, partner? This is, yeah, it's a big step up there for yeah. you. Why don't you come down? Maybe that goes to number four. Yep. Um, number four would be how do you, um, what, what do you do if you put someone on, a, if you have put someone on a pedestal? And that it would be to refuse to allow numbers two and three happen from the identifiers list. So number two was overlook real faults of theirs. Mm-hmm. So this is not necessarily a horizontal, this would be more, even more of a, hor- uh, a vertical relationship yep. versus horizontal. But like at some point you have to say, I will not do what is wrong on behalf of somebody else. I won't do it right. for them. Mm-hmm. So you don't overlook real, f- yeah, so I got ahead of myself. Don't overlook real faults of theirs. Meaning if they're doing something unethical, if they're doing something that is just simply wrong, then you need to refuse to allow that to happen any longer. Refuse to just overlook that. Like there's got to be a process. This is the whole whistleblower thing, right? Mm -hmm. In certain organizations, businesses, churches, the culture gets so toxic that people can do things that are just blatantly wrong Mm -hmm. and nobody says anything because... The mission's moving forward or yep. the, the company's making money or whatever. And it's like, you know, at what cost? Yeah. And um, and so with humility and courage, refuse to overlook real faults. And that and then number three is you let, don't let them pressure you into violating your own values and your own convictions. Like yeah. this is the you got to have a spine. You got to be able to say, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. Um, for for no amount of money or coercion, I will not violate my values or my convictions. This is where I'm standing right yeah. here. This is it, right? Yeah. And so that's number four is refusing to allow those things to happen. Even if they've happened in the past, at some point you can make a decision to not do it anymore. Lastly, be your own person before the Lord. Yeah. And I think that that matters a lot. Like I have a personal relationship with God. He loves me. I love him. He is developing me by his grace through the power of his spirit and his word into somebody who is keeping in step with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is my Lord. And there's this line that I learned years ago uh, from a, uh, I won't even probably mention it, but anybody that's familiar with it, uh, this organization might recognize this line. And not everything I would ascribe to, but this line was powerful for me. When asked to do something that is uh, in violation of either scripture or your conscience uh, or and or is against the law, 
as a Christian, your, your response can be, I've given my life to Jesus and I cannot do that. Mm. Right? That's a recognition that my life is not my own. I have been bought at a price. I am my own person right. before God. I have given my life to Jesus. I'm not my Lord. Therefore, I'm not my own decision maker. Jesus is my decision maker. I've given my life to him and I cannot do that yes. because it would be in violation of my relationship with him. Right. So the first, I don't know. the first thing I thought when I read that number five is all the way back to February in the first week of our To Be Human series. That big idea just kind of popped into my brain mm. of knowing who you are comes from knowing who you belong to. Uh, that's such a great yeah, amen base of to operation that. for us. That's great. That was a good big idea. That was a good big idea. I re- yeah. I remembered it. So that yeah. was I don't know if that means it's it's good or I just remembered that one. But well, it certainly was a uh, um, a memorable series in that regard. And and quick point, uh, whether we're reviewing this uh, this sermon or talking about the ones from February, the, the podcast of not just the Inside Out podcast, but our sermon podcast is available as a resource to you. Um, utilize it. There's there's such. A great wealth of, of, of sermons as, we, as we've gone through text that it's great just to kind of re-listen to even whole series again um, th- throughout the day in your car. Uh, it's a wonderful resource that's available to us that hasn't always been available. I mean, it was tapes for a long time, I guess, but this is podcast is a little bit more convenient than tapes. So uh, is there anything else, Brent, that, that you want to add to uh, our tendency to put people on pedestals? I'm going to make sure that I don't stumble over those words. It was kind of a tongue twister. You did a good job um, articulating that. No, I think, yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm, I've exhausted the content for this, for this moment. I okay. hope it's helpful for people. I hope something in there for those who are maybe, maybe um, a little misguided in their ambition and they're striving to climb a pedestal that they'll recognize that's not, that like that's not the thing to do. Step down, be amongst the mere mortals mm-hmm. because that's all you are. Yeah. And uh, for the for those who have um, others in their lives who are on pedestals, that this will help them be, uh, maybe give them a little courage to um, to and perspective to to recognize that that's not healthy and help and maybe it will help them to take some steps forward to um, alleviate some of that dysfunction. Yeah. Amen. And if you were listening to this podcast and you weren't taking feverish notes, not to worry. The seven things uh, that Brent listed on how to tell if you put someone on a pedestal and what to do if you put someone on a pedestal will be listed in the description of this podcast for you to look at and to review. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next time on the Inside Out Podcast. Whoa.